On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we talk about an idea that's been thrown out there as an answer to the General Motors situation in Oshawa, that is the Canadian government should take General Motors, nationalize it as a Canadian national car maker, automaker, and use this as a way to not only preserve the industry, but to grow the industry. Could a company run by the federal government, paid for by taxpayers, actually work to do that, or would it just be a waste of money? We'll talk about that. And later on, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH and I talk about all kinds of things related in the world of sports, but more importantly, talk about Speedos and how they don't work. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Lots of hand-wringing in the last few days. And justifiably so about what's going on at General General Motors in Oshawa. Thousands of well-paying jobs lost, both in the workers and the uh, management. It's not a good situation. Well, it has led to lots of different points of view, lots of different opinions on what should be done to help the industry, to save the industry, to bolster the industry. And among them was a column in the Toronto Star yesterday by David Olive. He is the name of the columnist. He has proposed the idea that we can fix this, perhaps we can help fix this, by having the federal government essentially take over GM and operate a truly Canadian, a national car company, sort of a an automotive version of Air Canada or Petro-Canada once upon a time. Uh, let me read something, a couple paragraphs from what he wrote. Nationalizing GM Canada is a compelling proposition. It would not only save jobs, but create them. As Canada repatriated the engineers, designers, and experts in advanced manufacturing who have been obliged to make their careers abroad. It would be a significant advance in economic sovereignty in a Canada that is stunted by its status as the world's biggest branch plant economy. Canada is one of the world's biggest and oldest automaking jurisdictions. We were building motorized vehicles in Southern Ontario for half a century before what is now Toyota Motor Corporation began its transition from bicycle to vehicle maker. Yet Canada is one of the very few major automaking regions without an automaker of its own. End quote. Question becomes, so is this the right idea? Is this a good idea? Dennis DeRossier is uh, of DeRossier Automotive Consultants. It's the only consulting and market research company in Canada working exclusively in the automotive sector. He joins me now. Dennis, thanks for doing this today. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, reading this, hearing this, does this suggestion possibly solve the problem of a diminishing automotive industry? No, it doesn't. And it has been suggested a number of times through the years, every time the industry goes through a cyclical downturn, you hear this come forward. A little bit of history. Uh, back in, and it shows my age, by the way, I'm almost 70, I've <laughs> been studying this industry for 50 years. But you go back to 1962-3-4, there was a huge debate and a number of studies done on whether Canada could do exactly that. And at the end of the day, uh, the government decided to throw its lot into the U.S. auto sector. This was GM, Ford, Chrysler, American Motors, a few other uh, smaller companies. And to eliminate the border and allow them to come in and to create a significant auto sector in Canada. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, back in 65, you know, we were producing a few hundred thousand vehicles. We peaked out at three million vehicles. We're now down to a couple million vehicles. It just doesn't make sense to have a Canadian auto industry because our market 
isn't big enough to support it. Japan was the example they used in that newspaper article. It's very different. The Japanese market is 10 million units. Our market is 2 million units. And so you could create a Toyota and a Honda in a Japan and have the local market support it, then allow it to ultimately become an export market. Canada never had that capability. So it, it, it's an interesting idea. It's sexy, but it will never happen. And just the economics works against it. It just can't happen. Back in 62 and 63, back when this was previously discussed, were those the same reasons that were offered for not doing it? Yeah, partially. And also, back in that time, it was a very unsophisticated industry from a technology point of view, and certainly from a, a manufacturing technology point of view. Um, and these big behemoths in the United States would have killed us. And we could have shut the border uh, and not let them in, uh, and essentially that's what Japan did, but we already were paying 20 to 30% more for our vehicles. We shut the border, we would have been paying two and three times as much for our vehicles, which would have made the market even smaller. In Japan, again, it was a big market. They closed the border. They put stiff tariffs on uh, for about 20 years, and that allowed the Japanese companies like Toyota, Honda, San, etc., to develop an indigenous auto sector in Canada, uh, in Japan. It would never, could never have happened in Canada. We just could never have supported it. And it's even not if much, it's not that much different from the Avro, Avro right. airplane uh, in many respects. We just can't support that this type of a business. And even if we were to do this, and this is the part that I was confused about the suggestion, even to make this possibly work, I suppose you would have to demand that people only buy these cars. If we have a $2 million, $2 million car market, you would almost have to demand that people not buy Toyotas or not buy Chryslers or whatever else, just buy the homegrown product. Yeah, well, and that's illegal under of course. The, under the WTO and and in the, the USMCA now and et cetera, et cetera. And in in and look at the darling of vehicle companies today is Tesla and Elon Musk. Okay, and everybody's raving about electric vehicles and how well this guy has has done. He has lost today ten billion dollars, and that's an exciting company. You know, <laughs> there's a good chance that's doing well. Yeah. So if we were to do this, you might be looking at twenty billion, thirty billion dollars of taxpayer money. Let me uh, jump in here to for a second. Make it go, Dennis. Let me jump in. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with uh, Dennis Derosier, uh, automotive analyst, about the column that was in the Star. What's well, all about the General Motors situation? But a column that was in the Star that was an interesting idea: whether Canada should nationalize General Motors, nationalize an auto corporation, so we have a truly Canadian company propped up by the government to keep us, to keep our industry going. Uh, before the break, Dennis was making a very clear point that this would not work. I did want to ask this though, Dennis, down in the States in the last recession, the U.S., uh, Barack Obama and others got a lot of credit for propping up the U.S. auto industry in tough times. And people pointed to that and says that really possibly, probably saved tens of thousands of jobs. Would this not do the same thing here? No, and remember back in 0809, we called it the domino effect. If you lose General Motors, you potentially lose Chrysler. You lose GM and Chrysler, you lose the magnets of the world and the big multinational parts companies. When you lose those, you lose Ford, you potentially lose Toyota, Honda. The whole industry collapses. And that's why it was necessary for the Canadian government, U.S. governments to go in and to save the industry. They didn't necessarily save GM. Well, they did. 
but the intent was to save the industry. I was at the table, and these were very real concerns back then. Today, it's a company that's restructuring, doing the right thing, by the way, and it's a very sad for the workers involved and sad for Oshawa. But what they're doing, they didn't do for 40 years, and they ended up bankrupt in, in 2008. Now they're doing what needs to be done, going through their operation, cutting costs, right-sizing uh, by closing plants, and if anything, Canada got away light on this. I feel for the workers. We need to do whatever we can to help the workers. But, you know, we should also be congratulating to a degree, at least uh, thanking General Motors for not having to come back to us for a bailout. Nowhere in the world is GM today or yesterday got their hand out looking for government money. Nowhere. It and is. So, well, and, the, and the bailout a decade ago, a decade ago now, we managed to get tens of thousands of man years of work out of it. Um, and although you can potentially question that maybe it should have been a, uh, a longer deal, the, the stretch future, you know, to stretch into these days, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was necessary and we did okay with it. Well, and, and your point about uh, some of these things, um, if the government were to take it over, here's my concern with the idea. While it's a, certainly a thought-provoking idea, we do know how government works, and that is it rarely shrinks. Once it grows, it, it's hard to make it to shrink back. And so cost-effectiveness, you're talking about GM and whether it's the right thing because they have to find efficiencies and stay relevant. Um, if this becomes a government operation, I don't ever see it coming back in size, back in scope, back in cost, and we're just pouring billions into it year after year. Yeah, exactly. You listen to the union guys who are saying, give us another billion dollars to keep it going, rather than saying, I'm sorry, it's just uh, we can't do that. You know, Adam Smith and his invisible hand, you know, uh, uh, is more powerful than any auto executive, more powerful than any union executive, more power than any worker. Uh, it's you and I, the consumers, that have not been buying their products, uh, and, and thus they have to downsize. You know, and the fundamental problem with that plant and uh, it's a it's a it's a hundred year old plant that's been reconditioned and reconditioned and reconditioned. It's a million square feet. You know the, that's not current plants. You need five hundred thousand vehicles in that plant to make it efficient, not a hundred thousand. And General Motors needs to close capacity, not create another capacity. So it, it think about this. All right, you put five hundred thousand units of capacity into Oshawa to make it efficient. That means instead of four plants closing in the United States, announced yesterday, you've got to announce six plants closing in the United States. And so you've got to get on the, uh, in your press release, I'm sorry, Mr. Trump, we're going to put, close two plants in the United States and move them to Canada, um, and, and we're closing another four. Uh, do you think that's a doable thing? It doesn't pass the last test. Yeah. It's, and what about the you know, changing attitudes towards cars? I mean, cars are not the same symbol, I don't think. They're not the same as they were 10, 15, 20, they 25 years changed, ago. They have changed a lot, but, you know, on the run-up to this, someone, uh, I don't know whether it was your program or another one I was listening to, it said, well, millennials aren't buying vehicles anymore. In Canada, millennials are embracing vehicle ownership faster than any other age cohort hmm. in Canada. In the U.S., they got, uh, the millennials have more than 100% ownership, and they've backed off. So it's true. But people think that happened in Canada. No! Uh, ownership of Canada is up and up a lot. It was two-thirds of the driving age population at the turn of the century. It's 87% now. That means there's 7 million more owners of vehicles in Canada today 
than just 15 years ago or 18 years ago. And yet, so my question, I, I was reading something that you had written about or talked about. I can't, I don't know if you put it in writing or if it was an interview back in 2015. Uh, you said there would probably be no auto industry at all by 2030 or 2040. Has that changed in that time? Have we turned a corner somehow or is that still in line for that? What I said is that um, if we did not absolutely go out and put policies in place to keep what we have. Okay. There's okay. a good chance we would be Australia who has no auto sector. That would be sometime between 2030 and 2040. And we are. Where we're heading is we have right now five vehicle companies in Canada with assembly plants. Uh, three of them, um, well, Toyota, sorry, Toyota has two, Honda has two, Chrysler has two, Ford and GM has one. It will be near impossible now for GM or Ford to close their last plant. Think about that. You look at the the kickback with General Motors closing their one plant. Think of the headlines today read, GM abandons Canada. Right now it's GM abandons Oshawa, but they still have thousands of jobs in Canada making engines, making vehicles down in Ingersoll. They have a huge R&D center, by the way, no one mentioned the last two days that General Motors uh, uh, this past summer hired hundreds of workers to work in their R&D center in, in Markham, Ontario, and every one of those workers make a lot more money than any assembly worker. Hmm. That seems to be forgotten. General that- Motors hasn't forgotten Canada. They just have decided that this plant doesn't make sense. Dennis, I listen, I got to run, unfortunately, but I really do appreciate the time. Dennis DeRossier from DeRossier Automotive Consultants. Thanks so much for doing this. Anytime. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Do you know what Tinder is? I'm assuming most of you know what Tinder is, but some of you don't. That's okay. That's okay. We don't all know everything. So because he is more youthful and because he is probably more inclined as a single man to have maybe dabbled in the Tinder world. I will get Will to explain the <laughs> Tinder concept. Um, Tinder is like a fast-paced dating site, uh, very low amounts of information, and you can hook it up with your Spotify, too, so people know the music you like. But basically, you swipe through singles within a uh, specific geographic area. They show up. There's a few pictures of them. and like, oh, want to meet me? Yes or no? And if you swipe yes, and they've swiped yes on your face when you've shown up on their phone, then uh, you two get connected, and they say, oh, here, send, yourself, send each other some messages and see what happens. It's essentially a singles bar without the booze or the smoky room. Yeah, yes. I mean, You can do it from home. Yep. <laughs> you can expedite the process. There's no socialization going on. And basically, if I had to guess, Will, and I've not been on Tinder before, for the record, I know of Tinder. I have not used the service. I'm guessing that probably 95% of people don't even bother to read the letterings and the wordings. You look at the pictures, and if the person looks nice, you go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Am yeah, I am I am I far off? Okay, so you get the idea. Tinder is essentially a meat market where you go and hook up with people, and in many cases, not in all cases, certainly I'm sure there are people on there who are upright and chaste, but there are also people on there who are simply on there to look for a good time. Look for a good time. All right, to to. To find some mistletoe and I don't know what the Christmas song is that I should be saying here, but to play on words. But you know what I'm getting at, that this is, this is where you pick someone up for a... It's closing time. A booty call. 
All right. That's yes, the kind of thing that t- the, the real stereotype or the whatever of Tinder is that it's a yeah a place to pick people up and there's it's not real deep. You're, you're, this is not Christian mingle. Um, <laughs> this is something very different. Anyway, so that being the case then, what will, would be the worst thing that could happen to you on Tinder? I don't know, Scott. We were talking about criminal minds over the break, so maybe, uh, let's say... And, and when I say the worst thing... Yeah. Okay, let me clarify. I'm not actually talking about meeting up with someone who happens to be Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. And ending up in a barrel of acid. That's not what I'm talking... I'm just talking about something socially, emotionally, psychologically... Someone who... Okay, I got Not it. good. Someone who proposes to you about an hour into your... That would be bad. meeting. That would be a little desperate. That would be a little bit bad. Yeah, or someone who decides they tell you how many children they want right after they've met or puts it into their <laughs> Tinder profile. Um, I imagine there could be a lot of things. You uh, had mentioned that you knew someone who on Tinder had... Uh, matched with their ex. Matched with their who, ex. Yeah. yeah so th- that would be a little awkward, all right, if you're suddenly going through and you match with your ex. Well, here's what. So, and one more thing. I guess, and again, you can probably help me out with this, but on Tinder... You do have to put in some information so that it connects you with people somehow that there's a commonality with, yeah, right? So yeah. it's not just, you don't have the entire world at your fingertips. They do try and whittle it down a little bit. So these are people who share... Similar interests, taste in music, right. things like that. And, ge- yeah. and geography. And geography. So here's this guy. He's in England, as it turns out, uh, who is on Tinder and he is scrolling around and he finds this person that he thinks, huh. Oh, no. She's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll click on her. Well, as it turns out, I guess his sister hadn't used her real photo. (laughs) And now he's on Tinder. And it takes a little while until he discovers, I'm chatting with my sister. (laughs) This is the weirdest Hallmark special ever, Scott. That would, he ends up now... Now it go now we've got a screen grab of their conversation where they've discovered that they are each talking to their sibling on the pickup website. <laughs> it goes, "What are you doing on here? You aren't 18." And she goes, "Well, you swiped right on me. You did it first, sicko. This is so gross. I'm calling mom. <laughs> I already called her. Have fun in juvie." There could not be a worse scenario than being on Tinder, looking to pick someone up and discovering that your potential date is your sibling who is also on Tinder, picking you up. (laughs) These people are going to need counseling now. And just could you imagine the conversation mom had around the dining room table that night about Tinder and this is why we don't use sites like this. We don't want two-headed babies down the road. Don't go on Tinder and pick up your sister is the message of this story. And if they do a Hallmark Christmas special about this one, avoid that particular one as well because it will not be something you want to watch. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, let me bring in our good buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHCH Sports. Just got off the air looking very sharp today, sir. Saw you on the news. It was up on the studio TV. Man, I should come to work dressed like that every day. No, I'd rather come to work dressed like you are every day. 
You mean in my uh, Speedo bathing suit right now with my undershirt? That's what I wear. A, that's what I wear every day to work. I'll take a bathing suit, but not a Speedo. I'm not designed for that. <laughs> no man is. No, 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 some men are. I, uh, I, I am not. Not, not too many of them. Let me put it this way. Well, there have been a few times that I have been away, and uh, usually gentlemen from the old country decide that it's time to haul out the Speedo or maybe the, um, the lesser than a Speedo. Not a good thing. Just, but we're in 2018. I think we can retire the male Speedo forever now. <laughs> unless you're Mark Spitz. Well, unless it's for, oh, okay, if it's for actual practical swimming purpose. And even then, though, they don't wear them in swimming anymore. They wear the, the sh- tight shorts. We were on a ship one time, Bubba, and there was a guy who, he was a, he was a portly dude. He was a corpulent man, probably in his mid-70s, and he was getting out of the pool. He was from the old country wearing the Speedo. Although... From the front, you couldn't actually see he was wearing anything because he was sort of the, it was guarded. Um, he was getting out of the pool, climbing up the ladder, and he caught a wave from the pool, and that Speedo took a dive southbound. <laughs> and I said, no human should be wearing a Speedo ever again. Though they're a little bit lighter, you know, when it comes to nudity over there. So. Uh, yeah. That, not, not with him. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, let's move along. I had no intention of getting into Speedos today, but uh, hey, let me, uh, before we get, I got two things I want to talk to you about, but let's sure. start with this one because this is this has been the story that we have heard endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. If I never hear the name William Nylander again for the rest of my life, I will be fine with that. This is the story that will not end. Yeah, I think we've all kind of gotten there now. I think we're all looking forward to that Saturday 5 o'clock deadline. I mean, it's this is a story, obviously, because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, because it's part of the young core, um, that it's been just stretched right out to the max. And I think there is a belief that many in the media did not ever expect that it would go right down to the, you know, the right down to the nail being the November, was it the number, November 1st, 5 p.m. deadline. Yeah, I, here's the thing, though, is that he's a good player, nobody not named Wayne Gretzky or Bobby Orr should be talked about as much as this guy has been. I, I, I can't, you know, and I like the guy. I think he's got a tremendous upside. Sure. But I, I'm, you know, there was a story today that I actually considered doing a little, you know, what we call, a, you know, a 20, 25-second voiceover that he has actually been seen in Sweden practicing with the junior team. And, you know, which, you know, which would might maybe make you think that he's getting his conditioning ready, that kind of stuff. But then I thought about it and I'm like, no, no more. <laughs> no, no more. The, the, I'm trying to think. 25 seconds elsewhere. He, I think I haven't looked up the numbers, but if my, cause I've honestly, other than this, this is the first time I believe that I've actually used the name William Nylander on this show. And it's been intentional because there's just such a flood. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willied out quite honestly, but the fact is that I think his best year, he had what, 60 points, something like that. Yeah. In that range. Yeah. And that's a, that's a pretty good player in the NHL right now, but my goodness, I mean, like you would think that this was Sidney Crosby holding out though with the discussion that's going on. And I get that it's Toronto and I get that he's a key player and I get, they've got a team that's contending, but if this is what we're getting now, 
What happens next off season if it's Austin Matthews holding out? Well, and this is the problem, right? You know, and and you're totally right with that. Now, to, to quickly go over Nylander, I know the 60, 65 points or whatever it was, I believe that's just the beginning of something special for him. I think he's in that category with the Matthews, with Marner, where uh, had he been playing right now, he would be succeeding with everyone else and adding, you know, those big offensive numbers. I think that's just the base of what, you know, is yet to come with him. Now, uh, in terms of Marner and Matthews, here's why I think, you know, um, the Maple Leafs organization might have just really kind of messed this up because they've gone out of their way to say that, you know what, there's only a certain amount of money for the entire pie. Uh, we've even had the president uh, and Brendan Shanahan talking about, you know, uh, this was about a couple months ago, talking about his days and, you know, willing to sacrifice for, you know, the greater good of the team in terms of salary. Now, mind you, when he was playing, there was no salary cap, so it made his point kind of null and void in some ways. But to the point, why didn't they get Austin Matthews done first and signed to a long-term contract? And then build everything based and on then, that. Absolutely, because then it would, it would say, okay, because quite honestly, if you're Marner, who would have, probably have a closer argument to say that I deserve to be close, you know, close to Matthews, and Nylander, and everyone else, Travis Dermott, everyone else can fall in line after the salary scale had been set with Austin Matthews. There was an opportunity during the offseason last season last year to get that done. Uh, and I think it would be much easier to say, look, I can't pay you this yes or no outright because of where we're starting with Austin Matthews. And now they've kind of gone kind of ass backwards with it. Here is the really interesting thing for me about this story right now. If he signs by, is it Saturday, Friday or Saturday? What is it? Saturday, Saturday, 5 p.m. If he signs and comes back and plays for the Leafs, this guy better be good. He better be good because after all this has gone on, I can very easily see William Nylander become the lightning rod for anything that goes wrong with this team, that he is the guy who is going to bear the brunt of the fans' anger. If anything goes south, if they don't win playoff rounds, William Nylander becomes the whipping boy. What, what, you know what, and I disagree with you there, Scott. I, why? I mean, I, what he's doing isn't wrong. I mean, I, he's in his best interest. I mean, like every player in the National Hockey League, the National Football League, the NBA, pro sports, when you reach free agency, it is your time to make yourself a deal. I and, agree. I agree. And, and, and it is your time. But, now, but. In, the, in that time, in that time where he has not been playing with this team, the Leafs uh, are the second best team in the Eastern Conference right now. Third best team in the National Hockey League. So they've done well without him. So to blame him, William Nylander, if things kind of go south or they don't advance, you know, win a playoff round, would be incorrect. It would not be right to blame him. When has when have fans ever used judgment or common sense with who they're going to pick on? And my point on this one is, fans around here, Leaf fans, have waited half a century for a team like this that actually looks like it could be a contender and you've got a guy who could be a big part of that right. who is saying I don't want to do that I'm going to I'm stick I'm holding out for this look whether it's right or wrong and again I it's sports it's a business he's allowed to do this it's it's completely within his rights to do what he's doing right 
if something goes wrong with this team, I can very easily see the fans turning on him. It's just the way it is. But, but and I, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Scott, but here's here's my quick thing to that one point. Why would shouldn't the, the fans also turn on the team too? I mean, the, the team the team are part of the negotiations as well too. I have to in this in this point sort of stick up for the player. This is his choice as well too to to yes to not play, but it's also. You know, you you can't be a slave to the owner in the sense of of, of a salary. No, and again, you're, you're totally right that he has the rights to do this, and it's it's his. It's just the it's the look for the fans that you've got this team that is doing this thing that could be special. And for most, I would argue, for most fans of the Maple right. Leafs, the first time in their lifetime they've ever seen this. You're absolutely right. And you've got a guy sticking his nose in, and the fans will take it, I think, as a slam against the team and against whatever. So I, all I'm saying is when he comes back, he better not show up and put up a 15-point season or a 20-point season. <laughs> no. <laughs> he better show up yeah. and be playing and be playing well and come up big and and not be a guy who's dragging his line down. I don't expect that, but I think that he is the guy who stands to be the whipping boy if this thing goes south for some Apparent reason, which I don't know why that would be, and I would say, I would say that would be totally unfair to him because I think in, in these kind of situations when there's you know collective bargaining and you're trying to get a deal done, you know this is you know the player is to be blamed as much as the team should because the team too are part of the negotiation and you know unfortunately we we as much as we hear from hockey insiders you know 5.6 6.7 we have five, no idea 7 years we have no idea what's going on inside those rooms of negotiation from agent to player and to general manager and the ownership so to i, I and again i i'm kind of leaning to more towards the team because i think that these deals could have been done earlier without any distraction to the regular season but yet they continue to let it linger. Uh, Steph Potasik, uh, I heard today from sources, Steph Potasik has agreed to come back and coach McMaster. If a deal can be made with the school, he is coming back because he has agreed that he will do this. Assuming that happens, what does he bring to come back to Mac? What does he do for the school, for the football team, if he if he comes back here, when he comes back here? Well, he, he's part of the glory days. I mean, he represents the best decade that this uh, that school has ever had on the football field, uh, and obviously brought them was the you know the head coach of the team that you know won their lone and only Vanier Cup, and uh, you know, made another appearance on top of that as well too the year two after more. the defense. two more yeah right so uh, he represents a time and possibly a change. Uh, I would think that the sort of negativity whether you were on the side of the school, whether you were on the side of the alumni or the side of former head coach Greg Knox, there, I think it can be all agreed that there was a certain amount of negativity around the program. Um, I was up in Ottawa for that playoff game in which the players were extremely angry with the firing of their head coach. Um, and from what I'm led to believe, there was not a lot of communication between many people in the administration and players and on the team, and in, that includes parents that also pay tuition. A uh, lot of negativity, but hiring a guy like Steph Potasik, I think, will go a long way to repairing, I think, a lot of the wounds that have been open from a, a long-going situation that you know probably went a little bit too long during this regular season. I mean, I mean you talk about Nylander and, and things lingering during the season, that MAC football team had a lot to deal with over its head during the season. 
the question, the one question, and I, look, I think this is, I think he is the guy that you can bring back and you can, he is a balm that goes over a lot of the wounds that you've had immediately because he was respected in the community. He Absolutely. was loved by his players. He was respected and liked around campus. Um, there's a lot to like about bringing Steph Potassi back. The one question that I think some people will have is his first act was a pretty good one. Can you possibly equal or top that first act in your second go around here at McMaster? Well, excuse me, sir. Now that's the pressure that he will be under. There's no doubt about that because had anyone else been hired, there would be very little expectation and the expectation would be the growth of the program. But with Steph there, we do remember these glory years, and there will be those comparisons, and there will be those questions, you know, on the press conference when he, you know, when they announce his, you know, he, that he signed on, that, you know, how long will it take to make this team a winner? Now, mind you, the team is a winning team right now, but how long will it take to make that next step? Will be the question, and there will be expectation, and I think he knows that. Now, I will say this, if this is the case, Kudos to the school on acquiring a local talent, a guy that made his home here, who makes his home here, who's had history with the school, um, and like you said, is well liked, you know, by by players and associations and all kinds of things. You know, actually had a you know a little stint with the Tiger Cats. It reminds me a lot, in some ways, of what Greg Marshall, the head coach and coach of the year at Western, you know, sort of was you know had a legacy there, came here. Uh, as a head coach of the McMaster, uh, sorry, the uh, the McMaster Marauders, then the Tiger Cats, but then there was always that opening that had any of that not worked out, he could always come back to Western. And I don't know about you, I don't see Greg Marshall ever leaving Western till the day he retires. Yeah, I don't. Be, I don't even think a legacy here for Steph uh, Steph Potasic. Well, two things. Yes, I, I think even if Greg Marshall was offered a CFL coaching job, a head coaching job, at this point, you're right. I don't see him taking it. Why would you? Why would you? It's a comfortable gig. It's a successful gig. It, things are moving along nicely at Western. Obviously, I wouldn't go. And you're right. I think that if when Steph Potasic, assuming he does, assuming they can reach a deal, which is the only thing that is apparently, I'm told, still to be done here, that Steph has said he'll come back. They just have to find something. And look, Canadian university football coaches, we're not talking about Alabama. We're not talking about millions and millions of dollars. We're talking relatively small amounts. This, this should, unless something goes horribly wrong, this will get done. Um, he could, you're right. He could be the guy who now says, I've done those other things. I like it here. It's comfortable for my family. I can do some great things here. He could be here for 20 years after this. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I think it, it's important to it for the school to grab a guy like this too. And I'll tell you why. And this is an underlying thing as well too, that you know, some people aren't even considering. There are coach, you know, I mean, it's very, very rare in the OUA where you have a season, you know, that's concluded right now where there are four openings in the OUA. Yep. You have, uh, I think what I would say is an excellent job at Queens you have an opportunity at Guelph, a team that went to the Yates Cup this year, that have a lot of young players that are going to be even better next year. So there's a great thing going on at Guelph. And Windsor, even though, and I'll tell you this, I went to Windsor this year to watch, you know, to watch the Mac Marauders and the Windsor Lancers. That's a program on the move. They are actually committing to growing that football program and putting the resources and what's needed to, to make themselves a winner. 
So you have an opportunity, at, uh, if you're Steph Potasic or any potential candidate, at looking at these jobs right now, which I think are all attractive jobs. So to land Steph Potasic back at McMaster would be just a strike of gold for, Mc, you know, for the McMaster Marauders. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, and, and you're not going to disagree, I know, you would agree with this. I guarantee you, though, that one of those four, if Steph Potasic was interested in coaching as a head coach in Ontario again, I guarantee you he would have one of those four jobs. And take Mac out of it. Leave the three. Leave Queens and Guelph and Windsor. He would get an offer to go to one of those three schools. Absolutely. I mean, if Guaranteed. Sure. I mean, look at the Guelph job. I think, which is, as I said, it's a very promising job. He he could still, I mean, the commute is, what, a half an hour? Yeah, 50 minutes, 45 you know, minutes, yeah. You know, from Burlington. I mean, it's still manageable, right? He wouldn't have to, you know, uproot his family or have the situation that he had last season as the offensive coordinator out in British Columbia with UBC. You know, so he could still be close to home and, as they say, pay the bills, right? So... Uh, you know, this is why I, I just think the lure of those jobs, we have no idea what responsibilities those teams are asking their potential candidates to have or even what the financial numbers are. But I just think for him, and I don't, I don't say this, you know, personally, because I know he, he, he's, he believes this personally, but you have to believe that there's an area of comfort for him to come back. Now, mind you, there's a different AD. There are some different people around than when he was here, but the the football field, the surroundings, probably the office, very, very familiar to him. Well, many of the guys playing on that team are guys he recruited. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I'm sure he would be given the luxury and the latitude if things don't go well or if there were issues. He would hit the ladder or the uh, arm that would be extended to him to get the program back on track and, you know, to a Vanier Cup uh, level will be much, maybe a little, a, a little bit longer here at McMaster. One more thing about this. Uh, the fact that he has the name that he does, that he was the guy who won the Vanier Cup, that he had that team that wasn't just a good team, but it was an incredibly exciting team for with Kyle Quinlan at quarterback and then Marshall Ferguson at quarterback. They scored a ton of points. They were a very offensive team. Does he immediately rekindle a lot of interest around the city in this team that may not have, I mean, Mac was successful, but the way they played under Greg Knox was a very big defensive game. He didn't necessarily score a ton of points that can be very successful. It's not always as interesting to watch. It doesn't always get as many eyeballs. Does Steph just by showing up, get those eyeballs back? Well, you could have, you could have, you could be the greatest coach in the world. Uh, you could have the philosophies, of of Bill Belichick, but you need talent, right? You need the horses up front to be able to work. Now, under his leadership, and because he was there for a decade, he was able to scout and uh, and obviously recruit the type of athletes that fit his style of offense. I will say this right now, McMaster's stars right now in terms of their football players a lot of these guys are first and second year players that will be going into their sophomore and junior years next year. Uh, I think that they're on the tip of maybe something very, very special. And I thought that, for me personally, that was sort of the disappointing thing to see Greg Knox go for him. I mean, obviously taking away the reasons why he was, you know, he had his job, his role taken away from him. But the, the best is yet to come with this school. So 
I think if he walks into this program right now and, you know, he turns a screw here, uses his philosophies here, and I, and I know you're talking offense, I think those players may be right there right now. Well, and when, and Western, which has been the dominant team in Ontario, they got a lot of fourth and fifth year guys. Uh, they're losing some players. They, they had most of their team back this year from last year. Not so much next year, so they will, they'll still be good, but they're coming back to the pack a little bit, so you actually have a shot. I do agree with you, and like I said, we, I, there is some growth some, for some other teams as well. We, we saw you know, two excellent teams from Ottawa with Ottawa and Carleton. I said, as I was saying, Guelph has certainly got something on the go. I mean, look at the playoffs for the uh, OUA this year. I mean, what there were six positions and like basically uh, tiebreaker situations that needed to decide. Uh, who made the playoffs this year? You know, I think there was like basically eight eight teams basically could have qualified for yeah. the playoffs. This and, year. and here's the as I let you go, the one thing some people listening right now, I have no doubt are saying, it's 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 McMaster, it's it's this is not the NCAA. My answer to that always is, I go back to the 2012 Vanier Cup, which was the one Vanier Cup that was played in this area where people could go. It was played at the Rogers Center, and when Mac was great. And when Mac was in the championship game, there were 37,000 people at the Rogers Center, and I bet 32,000 of them were from Hamilton wearing maroon. There is a, an audience out there waiting to jump on board if this team is really good and really exciting. They, uh, it is out there. I agree with you. You because- just got to get there. And, and I thought that, you know, the part of that too was the growing of the program under Steph. And I, 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 I totally agree with you because I'll be honest with you. I remember, I didn't know what to expect, honestly, from that 2012 game. And I remember sitting up in the, in the media booth and as the building got more and more and more filled and by kickoff, I, I, I remember thinking to myself, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in Canadian football, university football. Oh, and the whole building was purple. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was like a giant Barney. You know, uh, well, it was maroon, <laughs> not purple. Well, it was Barney in his formal attire. <laughs> it was Barney in his Speedo. Yeah, no, 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 let's not go back to that. Bubba, appreciate it. Thanks. Always, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.